When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you chat about? What are you chat about? What you chat about? My name is Mark Moore. I'm a uh, DJ, producer, writer, I don't know what, a bit of everything really. Um, started off as a nightclub layabout, became a DJ, started making music uh, under the name of S Express. Uh, got to number one in the charts, you know, like, like you do. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a few top tens worldwide, you know, smashes, you know, usual stuff. And then, <laughs> and then, sorry, I'm being a bit facetious. No, no, no. Uh, I actually want you to go into a lot more detail than just skimming across all then, of this. Uh, yeah, that's it, really. Amazing. What, what else do you want to know? <laughs> Is that good enough? That's that perfect. Good enough That's a fantastic yeah. intro. Um, so if we could go back as far as you want, really, but I'd imagine like school days or like when were you first getting into music, comics? I know you love your comics, <laughs> culture, <laughs> films. When was you first starting to get into those things? Okay, mu- music is that osmosis thing where it's just, it's always around. And, yeah. and my mum loved music, and so she there was always music playing in the house. Mm. And she bought records a lot, and some of them were amazing, mm. like James Brown, Motown, you know, all the sort of soul stuff on the Atlantic label, uh, some of the early Scar stuff, you know, like, but I remember you know, go to school uh, singing Bob and Marcia's cover version of Nina Simone, Amazing. Young, Gifted and Black, and singing it in the school playground. <laughs> Things like that. And, you know, I said, James Brown, say it loud, I'm black and I'm brown. And <laughs> so I was really attracted to black music. But it sounds like she just had a cool record collection, mm. but she also had a lot of nonsense as well. Okay. So I was brought up on a mixture <laughs> of kind of cool stuff and nonsense. <laughs> nice balance. And, and the nonsense I loved was all the film soundtracks, mm. um, you know, and musicals and things like that. So yes. I'd listen over and over to things like Mary Poppins. Oh, and, wow. Um, South Pacific and, you know, just loads of soundtracks, Oklahoma uh, so yeah, I've, I've definitely got musicals in my in my nice. DNA. <laughs> Mostly from your mum's, like from my, yeah, for yeah, my, my mum's nonsense side, <laughs> you know. Um, <clears throat> in in this, for jumping away from this, in this day and age, we can play everything from our phone. Yeah, we can sync it to a Bluetooth or what. Yeah. What was she playing the music on? Do you remember what it was? It was a crappy one of those dancette type things. Was which, it like a stacked thing? Yeah, a stacked like thing. Exactly. It was Radio. a stacked thing, and yeah. it just came out the, the speaker at the front of the box. Oh, where really? It the, yeah. And it, it was the height of, you know, technology, I imagine, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually bought one uh, um, about 10 years ago, and it Did sounds great for those really? old records. It just sounds great. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's just got that feel of the yeah. old school kind of, you know, just, 
you know, stuff from that era that was recorded in, recorded in mono. Right. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Oh. But um, so we yeah we listened on that. And I remember mm. later on she she saved up and got us a, another dance set, but more seventy. Well, actually, was it seventies then? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. Uh, more modern. So you know the the lid of it. You uh. you clicked it open and took the lid off, which was in two halves, oh, and they right. were the speakers. What? Yeah. So we had stereo. It was <laughs> that amazing. sounds posh. <laughs> yeah, we had stereo, and I'd be playing all the amazing new things like Jesus Christ Superstar album. Wow! <laughs> and uh, what else? Tommy, Tommy, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I first got the the soundtrack from the movie, and then an older. Uh, boyfriend of one of my cousin Tina said, oh, "Oh, actually, the original version you should listen to by the Who." Oh, no <laughs> way! Like, oh, okay. Did you? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I was, I was like I say, a mixture of great stuff and and, and nonsense. And um, it wasn't until um, I got into punk rock. Yeah. Uh, How was you introduced to punk rock? Well, that was the thing. I remember. I remember at the time I was at school. And we were all into like disco, all those disco hits and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then punk came along, and my brother really got into it, and a lot of his mates. And I remember listening, but not listening properly, and just mm -hmm. thinking, "Yeah, it's all right. What's the big deal? It's just, it's just hype, really." I, even though I didn't know the, the word hype, yes. I felt it was just, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, I just thought, "Oh, it's just a fad," mm -hmm. you know. And then one day, I was all on my own, and and. My life was pretty awful by then because my mother had a breakdown and me okay. and my brother were putting the kids home mm. for a short spell. How old were you? Ten. Yeah. And we lost everything. We oh. had no possessions. Oh. Most importantly, I lost my mother, mm. uh, you know, who, who was unwell for a while before I could I live with her again when I was about 15. Mm. But yeah, for a long period. I had no possessions. I just had bus tickets that I collected. Wow. And I'd keep them in a little box. And Do you still my, have them? I still have them, yeah. What? Wow. <laughs> that was all the possessions I had. You should, you should turn them and, into a piece of art or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, my dad didn't know what to do. He'd remarried. He couldn't look after us. So he put us in this boarding school mm. and um, called Wolverstone Hall. And it was for like kids who could never afford a posh school. Right. Who maybe came from broken homes. Not all of them, but some mm -hmm. of them. What happens if we put them in a posh school run like Eton, yeah. you know, a price that is affordable for their, you mm -hmm. know, for the where they are. And it, it was a safe place for like five years, like three meals a day, whereas, you know, in the school holidays, my dad would put us in a bed and breakfast and let us like, gave us money for Kentucky for our chicken and we'd just be roaming the streets and running wild and spending my... Kentucky Fried Chicken money on going to the movies and stuff like that. <laughs> so I was in a depressed state, angry mm. at the world. So I lost yeah. my mum, lost mm. everything else. And I remember <clears throat> on my brother's dance set, my brother was out. And we were staying at my Auntie Amy's during the school holidays. Mm -hmm. And I thought, let me listen to this punk stuff, see what it's like. And I put on, I looked through and I just went by the names. Mm. I didn't know anything. I saw Patty Smith, Piss Factory. And it was her just with a piano going... Uh, you know about working in the piss factory and she hates her life and she one day she's gonna get out she's gonna go to new york city and she's gonna be somebody and she's gonna be so big and i thought i had shivers going down my spine i'm like oh my oh. god i feel like i'm living in the piss factory and this is talk i've never had a record talk to me like this before i kept putting more and more on the ramones and this that and the other uh 
I remember looking at the cover thinking, they look crazy, let's play the Ramones. And mm -hmm. it just blew my mind. Mm. I think I put on now, I want to sniff some glue. Right. And then, <laughs> and then, punk. And then um, each one was better than the next. You know, the Buzzcocks and, well, they were all equally brilliant. <clears throat> the Damned, um, X-Ray Specs, Oh, Bondage Up Yours. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, okay, I've got to play, this, play the Sex Pistols. And this is it. This is the moment of like, the deciding moment and I put on God Save the Queen which had just just come out and I'd heard but not listened to properly yeah. and at the end of the record Johnny Rotten's going no future no future for you and I thought oh my god he's talking to me again wow. shivers up the spine wow. and I interpreted it as there's no future for you unless you get up and do something about it that's, that's how I interpreted it wow. and I was just like, oh my God, my brother came back and I'm like, Joe, I'm going to be a punk, let's cut my hair. Let's go. <laughs> Can I start getting the gigs with him? And I go to the gigs with him. Yeah. And then after a while he goes, look, you're kind of cramping my style, my little kid brother coming along with me. <laughs> so he set off to a gig half an hour before me and I'd leave half an hour later. And we'd see each other at the gig and <laughs> nod at each other and walk past each other. Oh. And I started making my own friends and that's how I got into music seriously mm -hmm. when I knew what I was doing, mm -hmm. you know. And and my brother was buying all the records and it dawned on me, at one point, sometime, we're going to separate and he's going to have all the records, oh. so I better start buying records. <laughs> so I bought, um, started buying records, but, um, you know, I think the first one I bought was X-Ray Specs. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it changed my life. And that path got me seriously obsessed with music. I was going to gigs all the time, seeing The Clash, supported by The Slits and uh, Subway Sect and Suicide and, wow. uh, you know, Susan the Banshees, just loads of stuff. The Human League when they started, all the post-punk stuff started coming in. Wow. Um, and that, in, in turn, got me going to clubs. I went to my first club, which was Billy's, mm -hmm. which was run by Steve Strange and Rusty Egan. Mm -hmm. And they were playing Roxy Music and Bowie and all this early electronic music like the Human League mm -hmm. and uh, the Normal, TVOD and Warm Leatherette mm -hmm. and uh, Thobin Gristle, etc. And it, that was the birth of the, uh, the Blitz. They, they shut it down and they moved and started the Blitz, right. which became the birth of the New Romantics and yeah. all the electronic uh, craziness and dressing up. Uh, and it was a great time for music, yeah. you know, after punk was declared dead, that was yeah. the best thing for punk because it was become the uniform, the right. music was becoming, uh, you know, a blueprint so everything sound, started to sound the same. Right. But as soon as they said punk's dead, punk carried on mm -hmm. in its own way. They call it call it post-punk now, mm -hmm. but to us it was still punk. The Human League were punk, mm -hmm. you know, um, all that stuff that came. Joy Division to us were punk, you know. Uh, it, yeah, it just meant that you got rid of all those rules that had built up. And punk was originally about getting rid of the rules. But suddenly it came full circle and then there were rules again in wow. punk, you know. <laughs> so it was great saying punk is dead because mm -hmm. it meant punk wasn't dead. It just mm -hmm. changed name. <laughs> but when, like, even with you talking about punk, so the way that you're describing, I don't know any of this that you're telling me, and the way that you're describing this, it sounds like... Um, a kind of county uh, culture or like a, an anti like it, the people that you must have met mm. must have been diverse yes interesting yeah not going with the establishment yeah I'm assuming they weren't like 
bankers, doctors, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, um, but maybe they were. I don't know. In like, those days, I mean, I, I must admit, most people I knew were unemployed and on the dole right. and were perfectly happy that way. Right. <laughs> Getting their dole check yeah. and even making music or yeah. making art. And they had a breathing space to do that. Mm. Um, you know, so a lot of people didn't have anywhere to live. So they broke into a building and spotted wow. in these amazing you know buildings that now go for like millions of pounds right. in king's cross or in Goose street and you know these these were they were run down when, mm. when we sort of broke into them and stuff mm-hmm. but they were they were livable so you you didn't have to worry about your rent so much mm-hmm. and the dole check got you through it wasn't easy i'm not saying it was mm. like a piece of cake yeah you know you, you did go you know with like maybe one or two meals a day and <laughs> you didn't have access to hot water or, mm-hmm. or stuff like sometimes you had electricity if you wired it up right. from next door but um it was a way you could concentrate on your art, your music, or your wow. or whatever you were doing. Some people were painting, some people were making clothes, and a lot of those people just started to become famous. You wow. know, a lot of people came out of that scene. Yeah, you know, and, and as time went on, you you <clears throat> got into the later characters like Lee Bowery, mm-hmm. you know, and you had people um, like John Galliano mm-hmm. and in the clubs and. Uh, and music-wise, you had people like George Michael mm-hmm. and Boy George mm-hmm. is one of the famous success stories. Right. And, uh, just it just seemed like every other day someone was suddenly in the charts, and wow. you're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're living. I can't yeah. ima- like squatting when I was younger. I do remember people squatting. I can't imagine that being a thing now. Yeah, like maybe the occasional thing, but yeah, like yeah. that was almost they wouldn't let you get away normal. with it now. No, but that that was so important for for culture, yeah. for for what was produced mm. and what came out of that stuff. You know, mm. all the things that were kind of looked down upon as weird and and not non-commercial, like Vivian Westwood, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, they became they became huge. You know, household names across right. the world. You wow. know. Um, and the thing about you were saying about were there bankers there and stuff like yeah. that. In the early days, uh, sort of punk and post-punk days, mm-hmm. if you came from a posh background, you lied about it. Really? You tried to make out you, you were brought up in a council. Really? It was embarrassing no, really? to have come from money. And if you, if you did come from money, people would be like, yeah, you know, you're just faking it. You're just slumming it. And you know you can go back to mummy at any point. Right. Which is true, you know. Yeah. It's like... Um, so it was an embarrassment. And I remember people who did have a little bit of money, they'd maybe get a taxi to, to the gig and mm-hmm. they'd park just around the corner. They'd get out of the taxi around mm-hmm. the corner so no one could see them getting out of the taxi. <laughs> it was the opposite of today. Today it's all about showing yeah. off your bling. Isn't that In those days it was about making sure no one sees you have bling at wow. all. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Going out of your way. It was about street cred. It was about wow. it was about being real. It was right. about, you know, yeah. Were you, um, before moving out of the punk scene, like, did you get to hang around World's End? Did you, yes. like, Vivian yeah. Westwood shop on the King's yeah. Road? What was that? period like you know every saturday you would go to sloan square station mm. you would 
put any you know any money you had which wasn't very much if if, if any in mm. your socks in case you got beaten up by teddy boys or mm-hmm. skinheads or whatever mm-hmm. uh, i mean but going out and dressed <laughs> up you'd, you'd expect to get like either attacked or chased up the road you know every time you went out what? in those days That's crazy you know it was all about different tribes fighting each other mm. and stuff like that but yeah, so you go there, you come out the stage, Sloan Square Station, you look left, you look right, and then you make a run for it. <laughs> and there were shops along the way down down there, like there was Boy where Don Letts worked and mm-hmm. Jeanette Lee, who, who now manages like bands like On Rough Trade and Pulp and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Public Image Limited for a short time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there was Boy, which was the rival shop of um, Seditionaries, which used to be Sex, and later on turned into World's End with the pirate stuff. But mm-hmm. at that point in time, it was seditionaries and it was all the punk stuff, mm-hmm. the bondage stuff, you know, the two cowboys T-shirts with their dicks hanging out yeah. and people would get arrested for wearing that T-shirt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you go there, there was Beaufort Market, you could buy punks. There were lots of places you could stop off along the way and you'd mm-hmm. make the pilgrimage towards seditionaries. I remember the first time you go, it's always terrifying. Because Jordan worked there, uh, who had this amazing bouffant hair sticking up in the air and wild um, punk makeup, which just launched a thousand clones, you know, Mm -hmm. people just took inspiration from her. Mm -hmm. She was the shop assistant, you know, and you'd see Vivian Westwood in there looking wonderful with her bleach blonde spiky hair. But it was quite terrifying to go in because they were quite confrontational. Mm. They didn't really want to sell the clothes to people unless they deserved to have the clothes. (laughs) It was it was a case of like, no, sorry, these clothes don't suit you. You shouldn't buy them. And they you know, they tell people not to come in the shop because the clothes weren't going to suit them. That basically they weren't worthy of the clothes. So, you know, it, it was it was pretty uncommercial in its own mm. way, even mm. though they were really expensive, the clothes. Were they? Yeah, they, I seem to remember they were like two weeks, three weeks double check to buy a pair of bondage trousers. Whoa. Can't remember. So whatever the equivalent of that is now. Yeah, yeah. So it was terrifying. If they didn't like you, they'd let you know, you know. Wow. And But if they did like you, they'd let you know. Right. So I went in there terrified and Jordan took a shine to me because I was 14, you know, <laughs> and I, I had this crappy homemade t- punk T-shirt, <laughs> you know, I look ridiculous really, but, but I was this young, cute little thing. Yeah. So, so um, she took me under her wing and Aww. she, you know, I'd help her shut up the shop and her and Vivian Westwood would take me for lunch and seriously yeah at we, 14 yeah 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 wow stuff like that and a bit later on she started she made that movie with Derek Jarman Jubilee mm. which was uh, set kind of in the future where England's like all in ruins and um all that's left is like this corporate um, uh, entity called Borgia Gintz who owns the music business and uh, she's in it uh, and Toya's in it and Jenny Runacre and they're these mad girls who go roaming around the streets of London it's a great film yeah Uh, yeah and um, she was doing that and she was telling me about all that and uh, yeah you know and I didn't see her for a long long time because she kind of disappeared and went to be a vet Mm -hmm. in Brighton I think it was and she was like um, bringing up Siamese cats and stuff like that and entering them for shows and and then she wrote her 
biography, which mm. is brilliant, mm. called Defying Gravity. Mm-hmm. And she came back again on the scene, you know, oh. kind of like, you know, looking like Jordan, a bit older, but right. but still fabulous Jordan. Oh. She, she's amazing, so yeah. inspirational. Wow. Yeah. To and be, I'm glad there's so much recordings of her, you know, you can find good. stuff of her. And, yeah. it, it's good that um, you were at such an influential age. Yes. Yeah. tucked under the wing yeah. of such creative, yes. innovative, yeah, 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 yeah. a thousand clones. Exactly. People that really, you shine to them and they shine to you. Yeah, what a, yeah perfect yeah. moment. I mean, people were very, you know, the whole thing was anti-stardom mm-hmm. in those punk days. So, you know, it was it was embarrassing if someone thought, yeah, I'm a big star. You know, right. Oh, oh, I'm going to get a flash car. You did not go get a flash car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, it's like... Yeah. And, and I remember um, with someone told us where John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, lived, mm-hmm. uh, which was just off the King's, King's Road in Gunther Grove. Mm-hmm. And we went and knocked on the door. And, yeah. And his mate came out. Um, and his name was Paul. And he, he, looked, he looked me and my brother up and down. And, he, and we went, oh, can we come and see Johnny? And uh, oh no, Johnny doesn't live here. And we were like, "You're lying. We know he lives here. <laughs> You're lying." And he goes, "No, he doesn't live here. No, sorry, no." And then we went home disheartened. And then the next week, we went back again, banged on the door, and he went, "Oh my God, you again?" <laughs> and he goes, "Come on in." No way. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Yes. So every other weekend, I'd go and hang, knock on Johnny Rotten's door and hang out, and they'd be, they'd like send me off to like buy the beers and stuff. Are like you that. serious? Yeah. <laughs> So I'd be hanging out there. And I remember one time, um, this is after the pistols had split, and, uh, oh no, the phone, let me turn this off. Okay, no problem. Bit of punk in the... So, um, yeah, hang on, I'll come... Yeah, so the pistols had split, and uh, John Lydon was forming Public Image Limited, another Mm. seminal kind of post-punk band that changed everything. Mm -hmm. And... um, I remember, uh, yeah, Sid, Sid Vicious's um, single "My Way" had come out, which was taken oh. from the movie oh my "The Great Rock and Swindle." Um, That's a tune, you know. But I didn't know the ins and outs of the whole thing, you know, the the politics of what went on and the split. And and I remember just thinking, oh, you know, maybe if I could, I could save up a bit more, I could buy the twelve inch of my way mm-hmm. by Sid Vicious, you know. Mm. And then um, Johnny Johnny had it there, and I went, mm. oh, my way, oh, is it? And, you know, do you like it? And he goes, oh my god, and he picked it up. And he goes, I can't believe Sid's imitated me on this record. And he picked up the record, and he smashed it to pieces. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I could have had that. I'm so even up for that. <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. And what I didn't know was the great rock and roll swindle, which I think is a great work, a great film if you view it for what it is, which Mm. is a work of fiction, Mm -hmm. a fairy tale, a made-up story. Mm. But a lot of people thought it was true, and it's Malcolm basically saying he invented the pistols, he did it as a swindle, Mm. which is which is a load of bollocks, really. Right. You know, it's not that simple. Mm. You know, sure, he was a, he was big hand in steering them. Yes. But, you know, he, he just made up this fairy tale. Right. You know. But anyway, <laughs> um, this, you know, this stuff was going on between them, which I didn't realise. But, yeah, I didn't know all that. Anyway, at the same time, we got Sid Vicious's address and we went round. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
you serious? Yeah, we went round to Sid's and Nancy Spongen, who was his heroin addict, well, they were both on heroin, mm. answered the door and they were like, oh my God, they're so, you're so cute, look at you, <laughs> come on in. And she's like, Sid, look at them, they're real fans, they're so So we hung out with Sid and Nancy. Are you serious? And we were so young and naive, we thought, <laughs> we thought oh, they must have had a late <clears throat> night, they're really sleepy. Oh, really? Not knowing they were on heroin. <laughs> And at the end, you know, after hanging out with him, and Sid was just absolutely docile and sweet and adorable, like a little puppy, really right. gentle, uh-huh. you know, not the Sid Vicious persona at all. Yeah. And and Nancy was lovely. I, apparently no one's got a good word to say about Nancy Spongin, but she was lovely. Wow. wow. <laughs> and um, when we left, Nancy was like, Sid, they're such friends, we have to give them something. And they gave us all this seditionary's bondage gear. Are you serious? Yeah, which we could never afford in a million years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Whoa. So that's what it was like. People didn't have airs and graces. It was... Uh, I love yeah. that. Oh my God. I didn't know any of... This is blowing my mind. You know that kind of... Like, this is probably jumping forward a long way, yeah. but it's the same kind of thing. When I Can you tell the story of looking in the phone book for... Quintum Chris. Quintum Chris. Go on. Yes. Well, and can you say who he is for well, people that don't know who he is before you... When I was a kid, um, my dad actually made us watch this TV movie called The Naked Civil Servant, which yeah. is based on Quentin Crisp's book of the same type, same name. And it was basically about the life of a flamboyant, out homosexual who painted his nails, you know, and put makeup on himself and would parade down the street in the 1930s. <laughs> well, that's like so, for what you've just you said, know, that was yeah. so he, you know, basically now I suppose you'd call him non-binary or, right. or trans. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um you know, he did say possibly he might have been trans if he knew what that word was at the right. time. Right. But you know, at the time he was just you know, screaming homosexual. Yeah. Um, so he'd get, you know, he'd go and about his daily business, going to the, his work, and he'd wait at a bus stop with all this rouge on the mascara on his face and pink fingernails, and people at the bus stop would tread on his toes or, oh. or walk up to him and spit on his face and oh. go, "You pervert!" Mm. So he lived this life of just constant. You know, just torture. Um, but at the same time, he said he wasn't going to back down. He mm. always, wa- you know, why should he hide who he who he was? Amazing. And he'd go to uh, underground gay clubs, which would be regularly raided by the police in those days. Um, and they didn't want him there. Ooh. And they, you know, they'd say to him, they'd say to him, you, you know, you're ruining it for us. You know, if if the police come, we're all normal, mm. but you're not normal. Mm. So even the, he was even rejected by like the, oh. the gay underground society. Mm-hmm. And this film that came out in 1975 mm. starred John Hurt, who just did the most amazing performance of Quentin Crisp. Mm. And you know, it goes from like the the third from his childhood to the 70s, mm-hmm. and just how things change and whatever mm-hmm. and how in the 70s suddenly everyone started dressing like him all the right. hippies started dressing flamboyant <laughs> and painting their nails and wearing swishy scarves and right. yeah. suddenly it all became you know uh, yeah it's, it's interesting how long these things take mm-hmm. to become normal mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um it was brilliant the performance was brilliant and it changed people's attitudes overnight 
uh, about gay people because most people had never met a real life gay person in 1975. Wow. <laughs> That's how it was still, even though homosexuality had been legalized, mm-hmm. it was still pretty much like something you sniggered at. And if mm-hmm. you saw portrayals of people like that in movies or TV, it was it was as a you know it was derogatory. It was mm-hmm. as as a kind of a clown, something to be laughed at and to take the piss out of. Mm-hmm. So suddenly people warmed to this wonderful man, Quentin Chris, because of his great wit and his humour and his great kind of perseverance through life and um, yeah uh, but although you know it did change things in the playground because suddenly people would start calling you Quentin if they thought you were a bit a bit puffy or whatever (laughs) so yeah um, he was amazing amazing and I heard that you could well I started reading all his books and his books are brilliant they just get better and better Uh, but in his book, he says that his number's in the phone book and anyone could ring him. <laughs> so by then, he'd moved to New York. He decided to get out of England, which was still treating him quite badly on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and he decided to move to New York uh, at the tender age of, was it 71 or something? Wow. And he became huge in America doing all the chat shows on Letterman and appearing and different things. He was also doing his one-man shows in the theatres, mm-hmm. first in, in, in Great Britain and then in, 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 in America. So it was amazing for him to move there. And he said, he would say to people, come to New York, come, we are waiting for you with open arms. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Britain, I got beaten up every day. In New York, I've only been mugged once. <laughs> <laughs> so he's yeah he's a delight and so i'd ring him i do these like late night calls when he was in new york and, and i recorded a few of them and um did you yeah and do you he, still have those yeah i still got the no I, still, way. I, I think they're in storage i need to get them out right and he was a delight and but the thing is is i'd ring him and, and it got to the point where i could ring him and he would drop the Quentin Crisp persona. Okay. Um, because when he was in his Quentin Crisp persona, he'd mm. reel off the same stories and mm. the same one-liners and mm. the same, you know, mm. things. But when he wasn't in the Quentin Crisp um, persona, he was he was more silly. Really? And less intellectual. Really? <laughs> and it was, it was brilliant to find him like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. A friend of mine, Wilfredo, um, he... Um, Puerto Rican he used to live with Andy Warhol for the last three years of his life Wow! and he said that um, Andy would say to him let's go to this party tonight he's like no 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 we went last night don't want to go out again he's like no but so and so will be there I'll be able to do a portrait and then when they decided to go out his wig and his jacket and everything was kind of waiting and he said he'd put it on but he was a normal person yeah. totally normal and then as soon as he would put the he, oh, even yeah. as he's putting on the clothes and the wig yeah his personality slows down changes yeah. becomes a little bit awkward and just and it was interesting just these two people and there was a third one so he lived with him but on sunday he went to church and saw his mum and he said no one saw him on sunday no one really ah, talks about sundays yeah. with andy warhol but everyone's yeah. got their individual stories but there was a public and a yeah. private version of him. Do you know what? That, that's so common uh, with performers and, and people like that. And yeah, <clears throat> and I'm always 
I mean, it's always the thrill to meet, your, you know, your musical or, or acting heroes or whatever, whatever yeah. realm they're in. Um, but I, I'm often really disappointed we- when you go to see someone, you know, maybe for lunch or something, and they're right. in their persona. Right, yeah, that's what's going to which so version. so like, yeah. actually, this is boring. I can see that when you perform on stage. Yeah. It's, it's, you know... You want to meet the person. Yeah, and, you know, and... Uh, people like Grace Jones, mm. she's amazing on stage. Mm. Uh, and when she's not being Grace Jones, mm. she's an absolute pussycat. Really? And she's adorable. <laughs> and I just, I just love seeing her when yeah. she's like that. You yeah. know, it's it, it's just great. Uh, I mean, she's still Grace, yeah. but it's just a different Grace. Yeah. It's not the on stage Grace. That's nice to hear. Yeah. That's really nice to hear. There's a couple of um, things that I'd really love you to talk about. Yeah. One is the formation and the um, creation and where it went with S Express. And the other is, because I never had a chance to ever go there, which I think is a very influential part of club culture, is the WAG Club. Ah. I'd love you to say, talk about those two things. Yeah. Well, um, I started DJing by accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tasty Tim was DJing at the Mug Club. I'd help carry his records. Uh, sometimes he'd go to the loo and let me play a couple of records. <laughs> I had a great record collection. I'd be like, play this, play this, you know, and he'd be playing more of my stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had to go away one week and he asked Philip Salem if I could play at the mug club and I did. Mm-hmm. And everyone went mad. Brilliant. And they were like, jump. There was this like jeep that used to be in the club for some mm-hmm. reason. And people were <laughs> jumping up and down on the club. jeep and they were swinging <laughs> off the, the roof, you know, the roof fittings. And it was insane, <laughs> you know. And um, Tim didn't want to do the whole night himself. Mm. So after that, um, you know, Philip Salon, who ran the Mark Club, said that I could DJ with Tim. And Tim was happy about that. He was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't do the whole night. Uh, so we'd be a, a double act mm. and, and within a very short space of time, you know, we were doing the, the second floor mm-hmm. uh, rather than the main floor. So we could play whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. So it would be everything from disco, glam rock, mad sort of electronic high energy, um, even show tunes. We put right. on mad show tunes, <laughs> like stuff from South Pacific and everyone would be dancing to it, you yeah. know. Um, <clears throat> and then... Philip Salmon did a ball at Heaven. One, um, once every three months, he'd hire out Heaven on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we'd do the upstairs star bar. Mm-hmm. And everyone was going crazy. Mm. So the Heaven uh, management said, oh, my God, you've got to come and DJ at Heaven. Right. So we got a job at Heaven doing oh. the top floor. And then people were going crazy at Heaven. <laughs> so we got promoted to the main floor <laughs> within a few months. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, and gradually Tim stopped DJing there, mm. and as time went by, I started DJing um, with Colin Favor, who mm-hmm. was who's a friend of mine, yeah, um, and one of the best DJs. Mm. He's no longer with us now, mm. but he DJed at all these early clubs mm. like um, um, Scarlet's Club. Uh, I've forgotten what it's bloody called. Oh god, at the back of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also used to DJ at the, at the Camden Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so I was DJing with him and Eddie Richards, and it's fantastic. Uh, Eddie Richards left, so it's me and uh, Colin Favor, and we just started playing all this. We played a lot of New Order, Soft Cell, you know, Fagad, a lot of electronic New Wave stuff, and a bit of Italo stuff that fitted in with that. Uh, and then all this stuff started coming in in 1985-ish. 
uh, from Detroit and Chicago. Mm. We didn't know what it was, but we played that. Mm-hmm. And then we found more and more of it was coming out, and we were playing more and more of it. And it was house music mm. and techno, Detroit techno. So we were like one of the first clubs in London to be doing the whole night of that kind oh of thing. Um, anyway, so I was doing that. And uh, so, yeah, me, Colin Favor, and I got my friend Ian B in to do the last hour as well. Uh, and then, yeah, at the same time, I was living in the Harrow Road mm-hmm. and Mute Records had opened up mm-hmm. just across the road from me. So I was going in there and blagging records and hanging out <laughs> and just schmoozing. And, you know, and then Rhythm King Records opened up and I'd do the same thing there. And I kept going in there again oh, this record's amazing, you know, Jeffrey Hinton's playing it at Taboo and it's going to be huge if you sign it and they signed it and it was Taffy, I Love My Radio, it went top ten and I said, oh, you know, Tim West was giving me an acetate of this record, he can't play it himself because it's too housey, it's by the Beatmasters and Cookie Crew with rapping on top called Rock the House, I'm playing it everywhere, everyone's going mad to it, sign it. They got another top ten hit. Oh my and goodness! I was, I was getting You're all these things. Them. <laughs> yeah, I was getting. I was unofficial way, and I was getting them. All these bands like Renegade Soundwave. Oh my and, goodness! Yeah, anyway, so they said, "Oh my god, you've got us all these hits. Can we give you some money?" And I'm like, "Sure, I'll give you some money." <laughs> and then they're like, well, "What else can we do for you?" And I said, "I've got all these ideas in my head for making a record. Can you put me in the studio?" And they're like, "Yep, yeah, we need we need to team you up with someone who can help you get around the studio." And I met up with Pascal Gabriel. We got on like, like a house on fire. We had, you know, similar taste in music. We loved bands like Yellow, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we you know all that electronic stuff. And mm-hmm. so we we got together. We jammed around with all these ideas I had, and all these samples I had. And um, Theme from S Express was born. And it went so well, we did a few Pete B-sides, and then we did um, uh, the Superfly Guy, the follow-up, mm-hmm. etc. And then, you know, Pascal left after that, and I carried on without him. Um, but that's how it started. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to know which year. Is, I, I'm not sure. I get a feeling it's 88 or 89. Yeah. Oh, when? The number one. It was <clears> number one... Uh, it was. It got to number one in April. Probably now. It's probably the anniversary of it today. Oh, no way. I, I think it got to number one in April, nineteen eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Yeah. I love and to also, check on that. you got to like please put it into context because the drugs, yeah, the raves, yeah, the, it's not just it got to number one. No. There's a whole. Yeah. Well, the timing entity was, that was goes perfect with this. because I was, you know, me and the, a, a, a few, you know. A, a few others were into this kind of music. There'd be clubs splattered around London, around the north, you know, at the Hacienda, which wasn't, you know, selling out and filling the dance floor at that time. It wasn't, you know, rammed all the time. It was struggling. Uh, you know, people like Graham Park and Mike Pickering and all around the country, there's people who are constant, who are obsessed with this kind of music. But the main imp- impetus was... Uh, clubs like Shum, which mm. Danny Rampling and Jenny Rampling ran, mm-hmm. and I'd do guest spots there every now and again, uh, and it was just like it was amazing. It was mayhem, and that is reinvented the way we clubbed, mm-hmm. uh, and that was followed by Paul Oakenfold's club, uh, The Trip, mm-hmm. which was a, in a, on a Monday in. Um, uh, sorry, not The Trip, Spectrum. What am I saying? Mm-hmm. Spectrum, uh, Heaven on the Monday. Uh, which was unthinkable. What? Who is mad enough to do a club on a Monday? No one's going to go. And the first week, 
there's about 200 people. And mm -hmm. the place is huge, holds about 1,000 mm -hmm. more, or more people. So it's deemed a failure, but everyone had the time of their lives. Everyone wow. was just like, this is amazing. Uh, after a few weeks, the queues went round the block. Oh, amazing. So it just got bigger and bigger That's and bigger so cool. it, um, in, you know, in London. And, <clears throat> and the thing about all these clubs is they, they did know the drug dealers. So mm. on the Spectrum opening night, everyone got given a pill as they walked in. <laughs> So it was complimentary. How to do it, you know? <laughs> and of course, all those people like Danny Rampling, Paul Oakenfold, and Pete Tong, all that—they'd all been to Ibiza, so mm. their eyes had been opened in Ibiza from wow. watching Alfredo. Yeah, you know, and um, that's how it happened. It, wow. And it, it was like wildfire. Wow. And before you knew it, you had what was deemed the second summer of love. Amazing. You know, the summer of '88, mm. where suddenly there's all these, you know parties in the fields and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you didn't know where they were you had to ring up a number and yeah. try and seek them out it just it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and for a good you know few years it was just incredible um but you know it's still you know resonating now the way we club now mm. comes mainly from that explosion mm. you mm. know i'm not saying it didn't happen before obviously the, you know there's been the, loads of clubs since, yeah. the, since the 50s, yeah. the 40s even, yeah. you know, and disco and stuff mm. like that. But just the way clubbing mm. is now is pretty much from that kind of blueprint of little clubs like Shum. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, my record was coming out at about the same time that it was slowly igniting. Mm. So it did alert a lot of people who didn't know it existed mm -hmm. just by getting to number one right <laughs> yeah i was yeah i was at and, school and it was massive yeah impact. but the thing is is it wasn't played on radio one right. at first wow uh it That's was strictly so, yeah. on uh club play that it got in at number 30 or some something like that and it went up i think to number three i think it was straight after just on club play and radio one thought we're going to look stupid because we've not been playing this. And if it goes to number one, we're going to look like idiots. So they started playing it and that pushed it That's to number so one. Good. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Um, did you go on Top of the Pops? Yeah, we did it a few times. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to watch that religiously. Yeah. Top of, the, top pops. of the Pops. And at the Christmas Top of the Pops, they suddenly there was a backlash against Acid House right. and the, the Sun in the early days the mm. Sun were like get your Acid House t-shirts here <laughs> and they were selling <laughs> smiley t-shirts and stuff like that and they, they were loving it yeah. and then suddenly they were like evil Acid House right. it's killing your children it's <laughs> da 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 you know it, it was just mayhem they're doing mm. cartoons about you know just like the devil and kind of like grabbing the children with a smiley face and wow. it was insane and they um bbc radio one banned anything with the word acid in mm. or anything that might be linked to that mm -hmm. so they censored the beginning uh, on christmas top of the pops they play all the number ones from the year mm -hmm. and they get you in again to to mime yeah you, they, yeah. you always mime on top of the pot mm -hmm. so you had to mime again mm -hmm. to it for mm -hmm. the christmas uh, edition mm -hmm. and they censored the beginning of the record where it says enjoy this trip enjoy this trip <laughs> they cut it off it just went straight in without the beginning oh and we goodness. were like hang on a minute where's the beginning <laughs> <laughs> you know it's crazy and um <clears throat> michelle our singer was so pissed off she after she finished singing she sat on she sat on the stage with her arms folded sulking 
you know, Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh. It's like, and people who didn't understand what was going on must have thought, what the hell is she doing? You know, right. you can see it on YouTube, I think. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What a different time. Um, have you got any stories of, uh, I, there was one where I went to a, a rave with my mum up north. Really? And um, wow. there was my mum and her boyfriend, her brother and his partner, and then their friend and his. So there were six of them, adults, and then there was me and my friend. And we were in a blue transit van that you had to crank to get the thing started. And uh, <laughs> my, my uncle had quite a bit of drugs on him. And wow. we got stopped by the police. It was at the Manby showground. I think it was World Dance or something like that. Yeah. And um, we, uh, they stopped every car that was coming and I think they found a tiny bit of something. And we all got put in a police station and I was like panicking because I just hadn't been in that position before. But this was a time where you have to get the flyer, then you have to make a phone call and then you have to do a this. And then, like, it wasn't like, it's all online. Yeah. This was a time where That's you right. actually had to... You had to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even just to go to a party, it was yeah. like, do you have a story of like um, a kind of series of events that led you somewhere unusual? Or... It's all a blur. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. I do remember seeing the convoys of cars and just being like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's going like... to a field. Or... But at the, at the time, it's weird. The, the, the people who, who kicked off, you know, from the Shum and the Spectrum kind mm. of uh, clubs, they were very upset that suddenly it had exploded and it was out of their hands. Right. Suddenly other people were doing it who weren't necessarily from the, the scene from the beginning, mm. you know. Mm. And they looked down on all the raves, a lot of them. Wow. And they'd laugh at you if you said you went to a rave. And they'd be like, oh my God. And they gave them a name, Acid Ted's. Acid Ted's? Acid Ted's. Oh, for all the, the hoi polloi who went to the... <laughs> Crazy. That's too funny. Yeah, and yeah. I'd be going there thinking, no, this is great. This is like, this is it's, just as good. Yeah, you know, it's it, it may not be as elite. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it. I just thought it was a little bit Animal Farm. It was like all right. these wonderful underground clubs started, and it was like we're all equal. We all love each other. All. And then suddenly it's like, oh, except for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I came to meet you through a friend um, who I used to see at the Ministry of Sound. Yeah. We, he was always with Philip Salon. There was the three of us and we were just talking the hallway in the club and he kept on saying to come and meet you. And then I remember meeting him in May Devon. He said, come and meet you. And I said, no, I'm going to see my friend. I didn't really know who you were at the time. Yeah. And um, then an XL recordings party, yeah. he just grabbed me oh. and introduced me to you and then walked off. <laughs> um, Was that Kane? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What yeah. a character. <laughs> and then this was at a time where um, you, gave, you told me your address. That's I didn't right. write it down. Yeah. I didn't have a phone. I didn't yeah. have anything. You just told me your address and yeah. said, come around sometime. Yeah. And then some, I, one day I just knocked on your door. Yes. Just randomly. I remember. And I think Carl Craig was there. Was he? Yeah. Oh. And I was just like, I was a bit like, oh. <laughs> but all I remember is you being really nice oh. and 
so many records. I've yeah. never seen that many <laughs> records in my life. <sighs> and um, we just sat around and I think had tea and just... Yeah. And then the next few times I came round and I, I was I was about 18. Yeah. And um, then it came to putting on clothes and then... Uh, oh, that's right. At least past 12, maybe two in the morning, we're going to Birmingham, we're going to... That's Bristol, like you, you I'd to... suddenly say to you, okay, we're going <laughs> no, out no. I was prepared to go home. I was like, right, I'm going to go home now. And then you'd be like, it's not we're going out, we're going to another city. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. And we drive so up there. Yeah, gate yeah. crashes, dressed ball, up. Yeah. Sign of the Times, Chuff Chuff, yeah. Pushka. Yeah. I didn't know about any of ah, that stuff yeah. at all. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. on my radar. <laughs> and then it was like going from having a cup of tea into full on <laughs> mind bending experiences <laughs> that I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going. <laughs> but we were at different time zones yeah. you, you're quite late in the oh, night yes i was uh, going to bed yeah. at six in the morning every day more or less at least six o'clock in the morning yeah. so that was later <laughs> and getting up in probably in the afternoon yeah so that was your body clock yeah 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 for me to be going home at two in the morning was normal for you be like right we're going out now. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you DJ'd, you were always so generous. If it was in London, you'd always take everyone for a Chinese after the club. Oh, yes, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'd have a Chinese at six in the morning. Yeah. Shock, never do that now. (laughs) 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 We've got quite a big group of people as well. We stuff ourselves six in the morning. Oh my goodness. Uh, what was the name of the driver with the dreads? Julian. Julian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still say Julian. Do yeah, you? He's good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Oh. <laughs> but I, I want to say thank you for that time. Oh, like pleasure. that that was um I it was so inspirational on wow. my development. Really? Seriously, great. because you really um it was I saw you more like a a kind of cultural curator uh-huh. and what i mean by that is if you mentioned like i think i watched the film phase four which was a yes. soul bass soul bass yeah. which I, I wouldn't even get to that kind of film now right and um getting into velvet underground yeah. but like i knew basquiat and i knew andy yeah. warhol but you would you somehow you'd always come from a different angle uh-huh. but such quality of whatever film music theater right. like and you were just like, I wish you were recognized more as a cultural ambassador because ah. your taste and knowledge uh-huh. is insane. Thank you. In <laughs> subcultural kind of most things. Right. You were just like, it was just such a treat I get to obs- kind of... obsessed with stuff, like especially music and films. Mm. And, and art. Comics as well. Comics, I remember yeah. if you'd show me a comic, yeah. I couldn't take it out of the bag (laughs) (laughs) this is serious stuff and seeing all the figurines as well that seemed like that was quite a big part of right but did you know who Saul Bass was when when I showed you that I I don't Saul Bass who did uh, for those who don't know he did the um the titles for the Hitchcock films incredible uh posters and stuff like that and graphic uh he was a big influence for um uh, Swifty Ian ah. Swift who I used to work with yeah. who did the Mo Wax logo which is yes. probably very much influenced yeah. from the 
um, Soul Bass and the Talking Loud logo and yeah. um, things like that. But yeah. it, I didn't know he made a film. Yes, it's a great film. About it's a really good film. About ants taking over the world. <laughs> it's a really good film. It's really good, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember some of the names of the others, but yeah, you just... There was yeah. things that you introduced me to that I was... Great. There was no other way of me finding or discovering that. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. so good. It was so good. Um, can you... Um, we said something when we were sitting outside in the sun. It hasn't been sunny for such a long yeah. time. It's so nice. Um, and you said a statistic about AI and writing music. Yes, I, I, I'm, I, not, it doesn't have to be correct. Yeah, just I, I don't know the accurate, accurate percentage, but yeah. I, I think I read somewhere it was ten percent of the records in the charts are written by AI. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they just mean the lyrics or the actual whole whole music mm. as well. I think they're talking about the whole music as wow. well, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, should we be terrified or is it no yeah. cause for alarm? What's because, your feeling at the moment? Well, my... my okay, the, the pros and cons. I'll start with the cons. The mm. cons are uh, everything's going to be really bland and similar and if, if people are doing AI music uh, and it's just this generic kind of conveyor belt of AI sounding records which do work and the public do like but they're... To people like you and I, they're probably really fucking boring. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <clears throat> so there's that worry. Um, but the pros are, I think, in a way, we've we've we never had AI, but we had substitutes for AI in the past, um, which obviously weren't actual to do with electronics or technology. But uh, one thing I can think of, which is almost like AI, but it's not really, is automatic writing. When writers who wrote novels or, or whatever had a writer's block, mm. they would do automatic writing where you just don't think about anything. You just clear your mind and you just, just write without thinking about what you're writing. Mm. And then you read it back. And mm. because it's just coming from your subconscious without mm. thinking about it, some of it's actually quite amazing and poetic and, and beautiful and and tapping into stuff that you hadn't really like, oh, you know, you'd read it back and think, oh my God, you know. Uh, in a way, that's a kind of AI, even though it is still coming from yourself. And then uh, people like David Bowie would do the cut-up technique, which was um, taken from, um, was it Brian Kyson? And, sorry, I, again, I've forgotten the name, but William Burroughs and, mm -hmm. was it Brian guys? And another kind I think, of, yeah, yeah, Brian yeah. Guys. And uh, where you would cut strips out of magazines mm. of words, uh, uh, or books even. Mm. You cut strips of it, and then you'd uh, cut bits off, and then mix and match the strips. So suddenly you had this unconnected words, uh, which they'd use as lyrics or whatever. Bowie would like help, you know, use it for his lyrics. Uh, in a way, that's almost like an AI. It's, well, it's more like divination, really. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of form of writing, writing via div divination. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, using those tools in a creative way is fantastic. So if as long as you use AI in a way that's really creative and pushing the boundaries, if you're going to, you know, like on chat GPT or whatever, mm. if you put in 
write a love story about a boy and a girl, it's mm. going to come out pretty generic. Yeah. But if you write write a love story about a boy who vomits on a girl's carpet, yeah. you know, who's, <laughs> who's just come out of a, a home for battered, you know, housewives or, mm. or whatever, <laughs> it's going to probably have a bit, have more, a bit more, more... interesting. Yeah, so it's what you put in, really. Right. So I'm not against it, per se, mm-hmm. But as long as, you know, your own creativity doesn't take a backseat mm-hmm. to the actual AI. But I must admit, the, the latest record I've, I've put out, um, which I did with my friend uh, Daddy Squad, it's S, S Express X Daddy Squad. Okay. It's called Music for the Mind. Yeah. All the artwork for it, uh, Andrew from Daddy Squad did using AI art generator. Right. And it's Golly. brilliant. The artwork's brilliant. Really? Yeah. But he's honed it. He's mm. really knowing how to make it make good good stuff. Right. Yeah. He's used it in a positive yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. So, yeah, I'm not against it, but I'm just worried if, if people do it in a lazy fashion. Right. Yeah, it's just kind of starting to creep into some of the things that I'm doing. I've written a couple of things and then asked it to amend and it's normally written it really well yeah and then there was this one message and it was for a person it was a personal message to someone and I kind of put it in to kind of make sure I'd spell everything and all of that like just correct yeah. it and then I read it and I was like this is too good really? and then I just was like sack that off and I just, <laughs> I just sent my rubbish version <laughs> and I just thought it was so much more personal it's really interesting yeah that, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, see. Yeah. Yeah, you don't lose the personal touch. No, you yeah. want it to be your voice or mm. your yeah. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like to say before like uh, finishing? I don't know. What haven't we touched upon? Just trying to what think. What do we need to Is there um have you seen a good film this year? Do you know, I've been what have I seen? I went to see Infinity Pool the other day. Have you? I don't know what that is. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg's new film. Is he's the son of David Cronenberg. Yeah. And he's kind of followed in his father's footsteps, making disturbing, mm-hmm. uh, thoughtful, provocative films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, this one's about a bunch of people on a fictional in a fictional country who realise that they can get away with murder. Mm. I suppose it's a bit of a. Uh, I suppose in a way it's a, 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 a satire on white privilege. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they realise they can get away with murder, so they, they do <laughs> so come they back do. around doing murder. <laughs> I, won't, I won't give away the, you know, yeah. the, the intricate plot, uh, plotting of it. But um, It's good? You enjoyed it? Well, the thing is that everyone said about, I think there's something in the Daily Mail about it, it was the most violent film in years, and it's got a sex orgy in it, and it's explicit, and... Da, da, da. That sounds they like had to, a lot of people to it. Yeah, they had to cut it down for it to get an 18 certificate. And, right. And I was just like, okay, let's... And I was a bit disappointed. I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't think they've gone far enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, oh it was good, but I, yeah. I wasn't blown away. And I do like Brandon Cronenberg mm. and, and his father, David Cronenberg. I love, mm. you know, I love their films. I liked it. I just didn't love it. Mia Goth is in it. Mm-hmm. And she's fantastic in it. She's mm-hmm. always... I love that. I love that she's doing these kind of. 
horror films, but but they're kind of like horror films with an intellectual kind of slant to them rather than just really awful horror films. Um, yeah, she's fantastic in it. So I saw that, yeah. I've been, yeah, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of films coming out, especially in horror, because horror mm. always reflects what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, George Romero did Night of the Living Dead uh, in 1968, black and white. You know, people always said that as an allegory of the Vietnam War, you know. Um, then he did Dawn of the Dead, the sequel, a few a few years later in the 70s, and that was an allegory of consumerism, you know, all the zombies in the, in the shopping mall. Uh, and I noticed a lot of the horror films now, it's all about the, the class divide, mm-hmm. or it's about people with privilege who can, who know they can get away with it, and they do you know, much like the government we have now. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so I, th- yeah. I think, you know, you can't write off horror films uh, yeah. as just being, you know, mindless Gory entertainment. Or, yeah. uh, they actually do make statements about where we are in the world today. Right. Oh, and I, I must say, on TV, I watch Children of Men yeah. um, uh, with, uh, was it, is his name Clive Owen? Clive Owens. Mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing that 17 years ago in the cinema and just being blown away by how brilliant it was. You know, it's got these amazing long takes and, and it's just brilliant. And it, it depicted Britain in, in the future in 2027. Mm-hmm. And I watched it the other <clears> night and, you know, it's got all these like immigrants held in cages on the streets no and stuff like that. <laughs> And, well, I shouldn't laugh, and I just remember oh 17 years ago thinking, oh, yeah, that's really funny. I was, you know, in the, in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's just yeah, like, oh, my crazy. God, we're actually getting there. Oh we're get, it's, it's getting nearer to the, like, where we oh. are. <laughs> I can see into the future. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. What, um, what top couple of films would you say, would you recommend people to watch? Oh god, that's a hard one. Yeah, one of my favourite horrors is the the original version of Suspiria. Okay, I mean, a lot of people find it really slow and a bit odd mm-hmm. if they're not used to old movies. You know, mm-hmm. it came out in nineteen seventy seven, and I saw it when I was uh, about fourteen <laughs> or something. Wow. Uh, and it's just beautifully done. You know, every. Every murder is gorgeous. It's like beautifully lit. And every frame is a work of art. And the whole well, thing is like a surreal dream. And, you know, uh, it has that dream logic in it okay. where nothing quite makes sense, right. but, but it does. You yeah. know, you just get on with it. Uh, and the director wanted, wanted to feel like you were, you were a child, right. you know. And he... he took off all the door handles and all the doors in the film mm. and put them higher up so all the actors had to reach up right. to open the door like they were children ah. so it's got that whole dreamlike feel to it wow. and it's it's just amazing i remember two films now it's starting to come back so phase four was one yeah logan's run oh i love logan's run you you introduced Did me to I? that yeah good heaven and THX 1138 I, I, I was going to say 118 because, <laughs> because of the, George Lucas's first film isn't it I think it was his and first that's where film. he got the THX the sound yeah, from I think that's right and that's it's it, this because of the sound it, yeah it is like Star Wars like the sound yeah some of the sounds in the film yeah 
but yeah, those felt like yeah, Logan's Run. Yeah, I I, I remember. Did I see THX? I must have seen THX 1138 before, before I saw Star Wars. Mm. And even if I didn't, I was I was reading a lot of science fiction, uh, which was a bit more grown up, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even though I was 13. And even Doctor Who was having some quite mad <laughs> sci-fi kind of, you know, mm. like quite quite intricate kind of sci-fi, proper sci-fi, not just kiddie stuff, you know, like laser guns, bang, bang, you're Mm -hmm. dead, that kind of thing. So I remember when I went to see Star Wars, being a bit disappointed that it was just cowboys and Indians in outer space. Yeah. With laser, you know, laser guns. Mm -hmm. And I remember that at that age, everyone being like, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. I was like, it's not THX one one three eight. Yeah, you've been spoiled with yeah. kind of like they're like first albums where it's a bit yeah, more raw yeah, and yeah, yeah. a lot to say and yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's coming back to me some of the. Do you still read books? Oh, of course. Do yeah. you? I, I try to go to bed early so I can read in bed for really? now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Polly yeah. loves reading books. She's a proper book one what you read what's I'm read, just finishing april ashley's first biography off uh she was like uh a trans person in the 50s 60s mm. um and she was a model so she got she was you know she suddenly it was exposed that she was in all these adverts a trans person oh my goodness you know just what she had to put up with and she got married and then divorced and there's a big court case as to whether she was officially married or not mm. C- could she be considered a woman right. and this thing's still going on now to this day oh this whole this whole issue you know mm. it's and it's just another thing that's dividing everyone along mm. with all the other things that are dividing everyone and the only thing that comes out of all this division is that some fucking lunatic gets into power do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> in multiple places yeah exactly like around the world it's yeah. like I don't know it's, I don't know how it can be solved yeah. it's a difficult one yeah that's a difficult one to answer yeah but, but I, I do like I, I do agree with the the divide yeah like um, I think um we're going through such big changes yeah. with like Brexit, with the coronavirus, yeah. with Black Lives Matter, with sorry, it's the, something burning. It's downstairs. We got oh um, we got smoke coming up through the floor. <laughs> it's like, I thought, oh my god, we're on fire. <laughs> They're um, it's this is the air vent. I should open the window. This is yeah, it's really getting smoky in here. Maybe I should open the window. So um, it's the air vent for the cooker yeah, downstairs. No but yeah, you're saying about yeah, we've had Brexit, we've had yeah. we've had two years where people have been shut in, and they've been like obsessing over the most maddest things uh, from people who've been sucked down the rabbit hole and believing in all these conspiracy theories and or or you know Satan's you know Satanists sacrificing children and all this mad stuff. Two years of just being able to ferment madness in your brain mm. and that's what's happened and then suddenly we've been released onto the streets again yeah. and half most people have gone mad <laughs> it's i think it's affected a lot yeah. of people like yeah. especially young people and um just the way that we interact with each other now going yeah. out going clubbing going exactly. to like it's really changed 
And this is really smoky. This is really smoky. This is, it's like we're in, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like it's a movie. Have you had so, this before? I have, yeah. But I would wow. open the window and open the door and it would be clear. But it's like, a, he's got a dry ice machine. Yeah, I feel like the, the horror film's just about to begin. Wow. <laughs> Someone's gonna burst through the floor oh in a minute. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. I, um, I think for me, um, I've known I've I've known you for a lot a long time now. Yes, many years, many decades, and I lived in your. <laughs> I lived in your flat for six years. You lived in my flat. That's right. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff in that flat before we moved in. Yeah, that was like um, if someone who knows what they're doing, there would have been some very valuable. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, just yeah. there was so much. <clears throat> it was like an emporium. Yeah. Um, but you've been so generous and so kind, like to me throughout like my entire life. Right. Seriously, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, and <laughs> I really I'm saying it publicly, but I really mean that. Oh, um, thank you. You tucked me under your wing when I was very young. Wow. And showed me some like some things that have shaped me. Right. And um, I I would one thing that I would wish and it's not a wish that I want it to happen to other people but yeah. for I think you found interesting people when you were young yeah and I think that the way that that sh and I'm not talking about your parents that's a different thing yeah. but being young and being introduced and shaped by someone that's older yeah. and really interested in a wide range of things yeah. I cannot think of a better thing for a young person's mind yeah um, and I hope that people don't just turn to the computer and to AI for uh -huh. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because we sat on the sofa for hours and hours and hours um, watching things, yes. listening to things, talking. Yeah. Because we silly o'clock in the morning whenever yeah. I saw you. Because we didn't have the distraction <coughs> of being able to go off into our own rabbit holes on our phones or on our iPads or whatever. Um, <coughs> who was it? There was an actor. I can't remember who it was. I think it was, and he was saying that he's, you know, on movie sets, it's completely different now. He was saying that uh, in the old days, you know, well, now, he says, now in the downtime, everyone's just on their phones. Yeah, just looking, looking at, at their screen. phones. And yeah. he goes, in the old days, we'd, we'd, uh, go out to parties oh. and we'd you know we'd fall in love with each other <laughs> and then break up with each other and then you know because he didn't have that distraction on the phone yeah uh, that opportunity to get lost in, in that your own head so yeah it's 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 good to have just hang hang out so yeah. you just hang out and spend time and, and don't rely on the phone yeah yeah do you still have a landline I must admit, it's still there, but it's never hasn't rung in God knows how many years. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was a big feature in your place, yeah. like the actual landline. I remember, like, yeah. yeah, the phone. That's right. Yeah. But that's the other thing, people, especially younger friends I made. You know, if you call them, they're like, "Oh my God, what's happened?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Someone died. <laughs> You know, you got to do this awful texting thing, and it's really yeah. time-consuming. I find it's really yeah. like and distracting from what you're doing at that. I'd rather just do the conversation and just get it all out there Absolutely. instead of having to go. Yeah, 
it's, it's interesting how everyone's... Uh, it's changed. I'm, I remember... Yeah, how everyone's changed the way of uh, doing things. I remember having to use telephone boxes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not even your own phone. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, I remember when I was... When I was slowly getting on my feet and I... I, I got a job uh, for this charity organisation when I was a teenager and I was living in this bed set which sucked up most of my money so I couldn't go out as often as I could it didn't have a phone in the place mm. you'd have to get the phone box uh, but often the person you're ringing wasn't in <laughs> so you would just have to arrange to meet yes. you know you'd meet someone wherever you were and say okay I'll meet you next Thursday at this time at this pub or and you'd just turn up there hoping they'd remembered wow. You know, sometimes you just walk around to someone's house and ring on their bell. Mm. And if they weren't in, you'd sit on the wall until they'd come back. Right. <laughs> well, that was how our early yeah. relationship was that. It wasn't even me phoning. Yes. I'd ring your doorbell and see if you were there. That was brilliant. You just rang the doorbell, yeah. turned up, and it was perfect. And, and I think it was meant to be. Yeah. Carl, Carl Craig was there. Yeah. You know, he was probably staying at mine or something. And... You ended up doing the sleeve for yeah. Carl Craig. Yes, <laughs> yes. The artwork. You know, it's all these things are. Uh, you know, it's 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 just that way of things ha happening. Just without, you know, it's just mm. a natural kind mm. of. I don't know what it is. An os osmosis of kind of. That's a good yeah. word. That's a very good yeah. word. But yeah, I've, I would encourage someone to randomly. Yeah. Unannounced, go and knock on someone's door. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll probably bring out a rifle. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? What are you doing here? What's going on? Someone's Why ringing my here? bell. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But that was normal behaviour. Yeah. And it's good to do that. Yeah. Now I think we are stuck in this kind of, you know, oh, text me when you're five minutes away. Right, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, people like when they say they're coming around, they're literally texting you every move on the journey. <laughs> it's like, I don't need all this information. <laughs> then you got to text back up when yeah. they think something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the law of maintenance. Oh, but there was a great thing on South Park about uh, chat GPT. What did they say? Uh, it was it was about um, uh, one one of the girlfriends is talking about how her boyfriend, one of the kids, mm. is so thoughtful and sends all these lovely text replies to me and they're just so beautiful and da, 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 da. and then the other one is like uh, the other girl is like oh mine never replies to mine and it's useless and oh it's so oh, it doesn't understand me and then tells him off and he goes and asks the other guy how'd you do it how do you and he goes chat GPT I just, <laughs> and then she chat she messages Reply. me I put it in. <laughs> And then it comes out with a reply, and I put it in, and it's fine. So he, he starts doing that. Wow. And she's like, oh, he's amazing. <laughs> and then South Park wrote the ending using chat GPT. Oh, <laughs> they wrote the hilarious. ending. And the ending's really cheesy. Really? And like, sort of, yeah, it's really cheesy and like implausible. And, right. You know, but it's great that they used it. Yeah. <laughs> We're embracing it. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you, Mark. My pleasure. It's been great to, great to see you as always. Yeah. Always. Sorry we got completely smoked out. Yeah. I'll open the window in a second. We'll take a big Fantastic. lung of air. Yeah, but lovely to see you as it's always. so good yeah. to see you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Ciao, 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 ciao.
Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Viral Tribe. For more information about our work, please visit tribe.fm with two eyes. Sign up and join the podcast revolution.